This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. So excited. Big show today, like always. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of the show. Elon, going big with the Pee Wee Herman voiced <laughs> intro because there is a word he cannot say this episode. We're going to see if he can make it all the way through. He uses it quite frequently, too frequently for my taste on the patron cast. And I think it's been a weekly showing. We'll, we'll see if he gets to the end without using it. Okay. Are we supposed to like keep it a secret from the listeners or, or how does this work? The secret word of the show. How did Pee Wee Herman do it? I think he said at the very beginning of the show, the secret the secret word is... Okay, I, I'm not an impression guy. <laughs> I just talk about hockey. Okay, the word is crappy. I'm not supposed to say it. Brian sent me a whole bunch of other words I could say. So I'll be saying that, you know, Andrew Ladd has been playing suboptimally today. But okay, we've got too big of a show to be doing all this silly banter. That's not our thing, Brian. We are serious journalists, and we are going to be talking about all of the injuries and outjuries and hot streaks and cold streaks of all the players from the last week of fantasy hockey. Before we get into all of it, let's of course mention another site that talks about all this stuff all the time, DauberHockey.com. It's the best fantasy hockey website out there. All the information you'll need, articles every day, daily ramblings. Like You should wake up in the morning and check the daily ramblings and see everything you've missed from the day before. Then you could also go there for the starting goalies, line combinations. I'm on Dabber Hockey like five, six times a day. It's the best fantasy hockey website out there. You should check it out. Especially when I'm preparing for the show, the Frozen Pool player profiles, outstanding. They have all the categories that your league counts, shares of power play time. So it's not just giving you a raw number because if a player plays three minutes of power play time, Either their team has had three minutes total power play time, or what if their team had like eight minutes total power play time? You need to know the percentage share of a player's power play time to really get a handle on that sort of thing. Dauber Hockey, what a great site. <laughs> I actually have a Chrome, like, uh, you know, custom search engine set up. So when I type D-O-B and then tab, and then I could put in a player's name and it takes me right to that player's player profile. Super handy for, you know, doing the show. I'm going to do it bunch, a bunch of times while we do this show. And let's get into it. And let's D-O-B over to our first fantasy hockey headline of the week. An injury to Chris Kunitz. 
So maybe you might think, oh, maybe why is that such a big headline? So, okay, first of all, last week we were talking about Patrick Horkvist being injured and how this was great for Kunitz because he moved up to the top power play with Crosby and Malkin and, Ke- you know, we all know who's on that Pittsburgh top power play. But yeah, Kunitz was doing great, but then he got injured like the next day. And so then a new guy got called up and actually we had a patron, Cam, one of also a writer for Dabber Hockey. He was saying, watch out for this Jake Gensel. He is good. You should look out for him. And he came and jumped right onto a line with Malkin and Kessel. He's played four games so far. First game, two goals, five shots. It was like a a killer game. Everyone was asking us, oh, should I drop this guy for Gensel? Should I drop this guy? The next game, absolutely nothing. Then it was like, oh, should I just drop Gensel now? You know, crazy roller coaster for those first couple games. Now he's settled in. He had an assist the next game, a goal yesterday against New Jersey. So that's four points in four games. Five shots in the first game, only one shot since in those three games, and only 11 minutes and 55 seconds of time on ice yesterday so i wonder if these four points in four games is a bit unsustainable but brian a lot of people have been jumping on board what do you see moving forward and i guess we have to keep in mind that hornfist will be back soon is gensel just going to be sent to the minors and regardless should people grab him now while you know he has that awesome roster spot yeah so gensel was a point per game guy down in scranton wilkes barry he had points in three of his four games with the big club so far only one shot though in his last three games And, you know, I suppose when you're a rookie playing with Malkin and Kessel, I guess it's not exactly your job to be the one taking a pile of shots. And that makes Gensel the sort of guy who's either going to get you something, he might get you a point, a goal or an assist, or nothing at all, because he's not taking a lot of shots. He's not generating a ton of offense. He is just sort of a part of a bigger offensive unit. And it's actually really unfortunate for Chris Kunitz. Tough time for him to get injured. It finally had an open spot to step into after not having one for, I don't know, feels like a couple years now. He had a goal, three assists, four points, and 16 shots leading up to that lower body injury. Another name to watch for in the depth chart right now, Haglin, HBK line, was reunited briefly yesterday. Haglin has been blanked from the score sheet in nine of his last 10, though. The irony of all that is that the game in which he got an assist was the only one in which he didn't take a shot on goal. He's gone nine games now without a goal, has taken 27 shots on goal in that span, including an eight-shot effort. So he's putting pucks towards the net most of the time. It's just not really happening. Brian, you love Carl Hagelin. You always talk about him. I feel like he is completely fantasy irrelevant. I wouldn't touch him. No, so you're right. The next part of what I'm going to say is that I wouldn't add any of these guys. The Pittsburgh turnstile is in full effect and Hornquist is hopefully back before long. You know, if you have unlimited moves and it's really easy for you to cycle someone in every time the pens play, you could do worse than picking up Gensel or Shiri or Haglin or whoever, whoever's playing on the top power play unit or with any two of Crosby, Malk, and Kessel. Sure, go for it. But I don't see anybody worth holding on to for more than two or three games at a time. Yeah, that's fair. And by the way, when I said that Gensel was playing with Kessel and Malkin, that was in the first game already yesterday. They were like, the Penguins have been shifting things around a lot. And obviously it's temporary because they have these injuries. But it looked like at one point they had Kessel with Haglin and Benino, like you said, then Rust with Malkin and Gensel, and then Crosby with Cullen and Shiri. So who knows? And also lots of people have been taking chances on that top power play with Crosby, Kessel, Malkin, and Latang, like Eric Fair, Scott Wilson, Connor Shiri. They all took a turn yesterday. You say not worth adding any of those guys. I agree. If you could like sell super high on Gensel right now, I'd go for it. But 
yeah, I, I think to me, even if like I knew he was being sent down, I would be excited about having him in the short term if he had more time on ice and more shots. But that's the, always the big thing for me. I want to see some ice time and I want to see shots on goal if I'm going to think someone's going to have sustainable production. Okay, next injury. Semyon Varlamov, he's day-to-day with an upper body injury. We don't know how long he'll be out, but this is not a rare thing for Semyon Varlamov to get injured. I guess usually it's a lower body injury. It's usually a groin thing. So I'm not sure exactly what's wrong with him. But, you know, maybe this isn't the worst thing to happen for the Colorado Avalanche. Like He's been alternating good in like horrible games. Then five goals, though on 40 shots on Wednesday. But anyway, this opens up the door for Calvin Pickard once again. And this seems to happen once a year where Varlamov gets injured and then Pickard comes in and he, like the last couple of times this has happened over the past couple of years, Pickard has been amazing. Like he plays really well for Colorado whenever Varlamov gets injured from what I recall. And then it's also frustrating when Varlamov comes back and he loses all of his fantasy value. But okay, yeah, like if you take a look, he had a 9.32 save percentage two years ago, 9.22 last year. So far this year, he's having another amazing season, 9.32 save percentage. He took a tough 3-2 to two shootout loss yesterday against Vancouver, but it was two goals against on 31 shots for a 9.35 save percentage that day. Is Calvin Pickard like a must-add while Varlamov is out? Can we set our watches to above-average goaltending at this point, just like all the other times that Varlamov has been injured? I don't know if you can set your watches to it, but it's a very real possibility. I mean, Varlamov was ripe for the picking already. It's been a real up and down season from him, mostly down, was now seeing some up. Now he's day to day. And we know for Varlamov, that can mean anything. We've seen him miss time to groin injuries before. Although for a guy who gets a bad rap for his durability, he has started 75% of all Colorado Avalanche games since 2012, 2013, always in the neighborhood of like 60, give or take a couple in a season, which is very impressive considering this is a guy who does seem to miss 10 or 15 games a year from groin or whatever lower body injury he might have. The question is, now that he's out this time, is Pickard the strongest threat he's ever faced to somebody coming in and taking his job? We look at the past and we see Red Obera, a sunsetting J.S. Shiger. Those are the only other two backups that he's ever really had on a consistent basis in Colorado. And Jaguar actually outplayed Varlamov in two of the seasons that he was backing him up, albeit, of course, in a smaller sample size, just like Picard. But I do think Picard poses a legitimate challenge, more legitimate than either of those other two guys, especially, like I mentioned, Varlamov is ripe for the picking. Inconsistent, 904 save percentage on the season thus far. Last year, Varlamov was just below league average as well, 914. Though according to adjusted goal saved above average per 60 minutes, your average NHL goalie would not have fared any better behind that Patrick Wall-led mess. But here comes Pickard, career 927 in 42 appearances, and he has a quality start in 65% of his outings in his career. And you've got to wonder if the abs begin to consider him, if they're tired of this up-and-down roller coaster that Varlamov takes them on. I think the length of Varlamov's injury is going to determine a lot here. But if Pickard can hold up while Varlamov is out and the Avs can win games in that arrangement, then maybe they let this play out and see how far Pickard can go even once Varlamov is healthy again. If anything, this gives them a good chance to really make sure that they're committing to the right goalie in advance of the expansion draft. Yeah, so I guess we'll bring up a few goalies on this episode. Maybe we can keep a tally because Pickard is probably a free agent in a lot of people's leagues. So I'd be interested to know how you would compare him to some other exciting free agents. Like one guy that I didn't have on tap, but you know, Chad Johnson keeps doing well. I was like, okay, let's not talk about Chad Johnson again this week because we do it every week, but he keeps doing well. Like, I don't know. How would you even choose between guys like that? I guess Chad Johnson seems to have stolen the job. In Calgary, Pickard, maybe it's possible Varlamov could come back. 
and you know Pickard just becomes kind of irrelevant again. But I, I kind of agree with you. I like his chances of taking more starts. Like Varlamov has not been great, like you say. Then you also have like a guy like Jonathan Bernier in Anaheim, who's like doing a pretty good job taking starts away from Gibson, or at least he's doing a good job of making a case for doing that more often. He's been great compared to Gibson. I actually had him slotted in for later on, but I don't know if you just want to talk about him now. Like, how do you sort of decide as a fantasy hockey player, like which of these goalies to add and which to just sort of leave in free agency and say, I'll let someone else take the shot on these guys. I'm going to stick with my solid guys. I think a lot of it depends on who your goalies already are. Like Elon is a Gibson owner in your league, you felt the need to add Bernier to cuff those ducks just in case something does happen to Gibson or Bernier does end up playing 40 games this season and not just cuffing goalies should be a part of it. Like I had Varlamov and I made sure I bid way too high on Pickard to make sure he ended up on my squad, but also desperation. Like if you have two solid number one goalies, you can probably turn a blind eye to these guys unless goalies are super valuable in your format. And if you add one today, his stock rises dramatically and then you can ship him off, uh, sell high for a really great return that you would have been able to get out of free agency. That's probably the only reason you should pick up a goalie of this caliber if you've already got a couple solid guys. But if you're really just trying to carousel goalies all season long, I feel like you might as well latch on to these guys. I know I took way too long. I'm in a league where I own Quick, who's injured, Flurry and Varlamov. My goaltending stats have been a disaster all season long. And I finally added Pickard and Chad Johnson, which I'm lucky he was still available for me. And so I finally feel somewhat stable in net. And so that's my advice. If you're set in net, then you can probably forget these guys. But if you need the help, there's no reason why you should be hesitating. Okay, yeah. And so let's talk about a couple other goalies in in regards to injuries, and then we'll maybe get to a little more later in the show. So Jimmy Howard is also injured, expected to miss 10 to 15 days with a groin injury. So not too long, but, you know, he's been great all season. We've talked about it. You've said how you didn't think it was sustainable. We'll see how he does when he comes back from injury. But you know what? That gives a chance maybe for Peter Mrazek to improve on his numbers and maybe make some sort of a claim to get his job back or even just to get to 50-50. He's had an 898 save percentage on the year. Brutal. Compare that to Howard's 940. Patron Matt asked if he should try to buy low slash sell high by swapping Craig Anderson or Bobrovsky for Mrazek. And then Jesse chimed in saying, calling my shot right here, Mrazek turns around his season starting tonight. So I'm, gi- I'm giving you guys a bit of an inside taste of what's going on in the Facebook group. But like, I read that. I thought, why? Like, I disagree. I don't know what these guys are talking about. Unless Brian, tell me that I'm wrong. I feel like Mrazek has been bad compared to guys like Craig Anderson and Sergei Bobrovsky have just been like fantastic. And maybe they'll slow down a little bit, but not where near where Mrazek is. So it seems like that would be a very high risk move. Like granted, Mrazek had a good game, you know, the first game after Howard got injured, like he had a 2-1 overtime loss to the Habs, 22 saves. But I don't know, like Brian, am I being too harsh on saying that Mrazek is definitely not someone to like go crazy about? I don't think you're being too harsh because Howard is only going to be out a couple weeks and the Red Wings in the past have shown little willingness to really ever fully commit to Mrazek, even when Howard was playing poorly or subpar at times last season. So I imagine when Howard is healthy again, he gets a chance to reprove himself when he gets back and take back that number one job. And because of that, Mrazek's value remains pretty limited. And I mean, even if Mrazek could work his way into a split situation, there's also the fact that Detroit is still not a very good team. So it's going to be hard to pick up wins or put up a solid goals against average behind them, no matter who you are. Now, if you're a Howard owner, I think this is a bump in the road that you might 
want to be concerned about. You know, I've always said that Howard is only going to keep rolling until he's not rolling anymore. And I'm confident that that second part is going to come true. So I'm wondering if this injury could bring a fairly abrupt end to what he's been offering fantasy owners for the year so far. I'd be concerned that whatever he had going for him before the injury, momentum, confidence, magic beans, whatever, it's not going to be there when he returns. That's not a statement. That's my concern. So maybe this is a chance for Mrazek to at least gain some solid ground, get himself on even footing, get back up to an average save percentage so that when Howard comes back, if he does perform average or worse, Mrazek looks like a more legitimate option at that point. From the data I've seen, Mrazek should still be the better goalie of the two. Okay, well, yeah, so... Obviously, if you have Howard, you could just stash him in your IR. Maybe pick up one of these guys we're talking about this week if one of them is available. And then you could decide later whether you're going to drop that guy for Howard or maybe someone else or eventually drop Howard. Who knows? Okay, one other goalie injury. Eddie Lack is on the IR with a concussion. Like, obviously, who cares? He's been, like, one of the worst goalies to own in fantasy this year. Doesn't affect much. Michael Layton is playing today, which is kind of interesting. He's a guy who hasn't played in the NHL for a long time. And it looks like Carolina's winning. So... Who knows? Maybe he'll even get the win against Florida. We'll see. But anyways, I just obviously wanted to bring this up to once again point out how good Cam Ward has been. He had a five-game win streak, and then lately he's lost two straight two-to-one games, which is a bummer, but he's up to a 918 save percentage. He has a 934 save percentage over the last month. And if you remember, he was actually pretty bad at the start of the year. So considering the fact he's gotten up to 918 just shows how good he's been lately. Brian, I don't even have a question to ask you about Cam Ward. Like, like, Take the floor. What do you want to say about Cam Ward? Yeah, you just want to rub it in. And I'm glad you made your sentence before to say how good Kim Ward has been rather than how good Kim Ward is. And I like that you're looking at this silver lining like he had a bad start. And trust me, I know he had a bad start. And now he's worked his way all the way up to a 918. Wow. Good for Cam Ward. I think with Eddie Lack, I mean, he's injured, so it doesn't really matter. But if it wasn't cemented already, I'm ready to add Eddie Lack's name to the list of people who could not steal the starter's job from Cam Ward over the last 10 years in Carolina. Eddie Lack joins Michael Layton, Justin Peters, and Anton Kudobin as guys who couldn't do that job. And Layton starting today's 23rd career start with the Hurricanes. It comes nearly seven years to the day after his last start in Carolina, which was on November 30th, 2009. He was claimed off waivers by Philly two weeks later. Cam Ward was injured and Leighton and Legacy were splitting time. Legacy was the backup they wanted to keep. Philly claimed Leighton off waivers. And then Leighton went nuts in the Eastern Conference Final that year, just stymieing the Montreal Canadiens, getting to the Stanley Cup Final before getting shelled there by Chicago. Um, but anyway, back on track. That game you mentioned about Ward's save percentage, 918 on the year, 934 over the last month. It's almost entirely due to the superhuman things that he's doing on the power play. And to illustrate its effect on the team, consider this. The Canes have conceded a league low four power play goals against. Opposing power plays have been successful just 7.7% of the time. That's incredibly low. The next lowest power play goal against total in the league is a three-way tie at double Carolina's total. Eight power play goals against. And the highest power play goals against total in the league 21. That is more than five times the number of goals that Carolina has allowed on their penalty kill. Calgary and Chicago are the ones just bleeding goals against on the penalty kill. One thing Carolina is doing to help Kem Ward in return, though, they're also offering their opponents fewer power play opportunities than any other team this year, which also, yeah, helps Kem Ward. He's done his part to help them when they do take a penalty. Do keep in mind that this 
penalty kill heroism will not be a season-long feat, but good for him. He's a number one goalie, just like Jimmy Howard, just like Chad Johnson at this point in the year, and you can add him as such if you'd like. Yeah, I would say, like, I don't want to, like, talk in hyperbole myself. Like, I'm not going to say that Cam Ward is, like, an amazing option for you. But like you say, he's a number one goalie on, like, not as horrible a team as Carolina has maybe been in the past. So I think he's not a bad option. But, yeah, he still might have some slow runs because he's done it a lot for most of his career, has been bad and not great. Brian, I know this is a bit off the beaten path, but Jay here in the chat room is asking really quickly about Ben Bishop. I thought we'd just throw it out there. Bishop, another bad game today. Uh, Tampa lost four to one to Boston. We're up the point now where Vasilevsky has a 951 save percentage and Bishop has a 902 save percentage. I made a claim in the Facebook group today. I said, I'm calling it here. Vasilevsky is going to start game one for Tampa Bay in the playoffs. Like even if Bishop is on the team, do you think I'm crazy right now? I don't. I don't. Jay said he's getting nervous about Bishop and he should be. We actually had a question in the patron group about somebody trying to sell high on Anderson and Bobrovsky to acquire Bishop. And my advice was, if you're selling high, that's that's not the right buy low target mm-hmm. because we don't know what his future looks like, especially, you know, I was confident if he could just handle his business for the most part, guaranteed two out of every three starts at the very least. And that was also with Vasilevsky being a question mark because last year was not a strong year, but the worst has happened for Bishop. The best has happened for Vasilevsky. And I imagine that they will not hesitate to go Vasilevsky if he has been the better goalie all season long come the playoffs. Yeah, so sorry about that, Jay. Hopefully you have other options. Here's an option as maybe a good buy low candidate. Corey Schneider has actually been kind of not doing great so far in the season. I think he only has like a 915 save percentage or something. So maybe you could target the Schneider owner and because I think he'll be fine. He's a really good goalie. And obviously Taylor Hall is injured. So once maybe everyone's healthy, things, even though New Jersey's been scoring a lot of goals with Taylor Hall injured. We'll get to that in a second. But okay, next injury, James Neal left after the first period on Friday versus Winnipeg. He's out with an upper body injury for Nashville. So that's too bad because he had really been heating up, up to 10 goals and 15 points in 20 games after his slow start, seven points in his last seven games. And he's not the only predator to have been heating up. And actually, I wrote all of this before today where they got shut out by Winnipeg. So that's a bummer. But aside from that, over the last seven games played, Ryan Johansson, eight points. Forsberg and Neal both with seven points. Arvidsson, Fisher, and Subban, all with six points. Again, in seven games, Ellis, Ribeiro, Yosi, all with five points in seven games. Like That's a lot of players producing for Nashville over the last couple of weeks. Brian, I want to focus on Victor Arvidsson on the top line most recently with Neil and Johansson, and then Forsberg and Johansson last game after Neil got injured. Maybe he'll get more power play time also with Neil out. He's got 23 shots on goal over his last seven games played. So Victor Arvidsson is shooting. He's on a good line. I'd be curious to know if you think he's a must-add versus, say, like a Gensel or, oh, there's another guy in Colorado I wanted to bring up. Afterwards, we'll go back to Colorado quickly. Okay, good. I was wondering if we'd head back to him. He saw almost a 60% share, we're talking about Victor Arvidsson, of his team's power play time today. Five minutes and 18 seconds on the ice with the man advantage. Victor Arvidsson, Elon, is a guy you and I both bid on in the one league that we're against each other in. Mm. You're ahead in the standings, so I won the tiebreak since we both bid $0. But he paid immediate dividends, no points. Six shots on goal, though, in a losing effort. Uh, That actually puts him in the top 20 for shots on goal amongst forwards and potentially rising. Even more impressive about that is the fact that he's played substantially fewer minutes than most of those guys ahead of him. So he's in the top 20 but has had very few even strength and power play minutes comparatively, especially 
very few power play minutes. So if you look at just even strength situations, he is third in the entire league, counting forwards and defensemen in shots and goal per 60 minutes behind only Patrice Bergeron and Patrick Hornqvist. And sometimes we say, okay, fine, his rate stats are good because he plays 12 or 13 minutes a game and he can handle that, no problem. But what if he starts playing real minutes against real opposition? It's not just his rate stats that look good. His counting numbers are checking out too. Only Austin Matthews and Brent Burns are ahead of him in total even strength shots on goal this year. 58 of his 61 shots on goal going into today's game have come at even strength for what that's worth. And today it looks like Nashville rolled two fairly even power play units and he was an important part of one of them. Yeah, so Victor Arvidsson, like, yeah, I guess I really kind of blew it. I didn't even kind of realize, I, no, this never happens to me, but I didn't really realize he was still available in our league until just like today that I made that bid. I don't know why I did a $0 bid. That's such a Brian move of me to be so cheap with my bid. I wish I should have just put it on, but I thought for sure Brian's not going to bid on him. He hasn't bid on him this whole time. Uh, I blew it, but it's okay, because actually I was going to drop Jonathan Marcheseau for him, who I'm planning on bringing up a little bit later, and Marcheseau scored a power play goal today. So maybe actually I saved myself from making a bad move. I guess we'll see. We'll get your opinion on him in a little bit okay Brian I want to go back to the avalanche quickly because I got all thrown off by the chat I blame you guys in the chat room by the way asking about all these goalies ruining my flow no I'm just kidding thank you so much for joining us by the way if you're listening you could join us every week keeping carlson.com slash live 8 p.m on Sundays eastern time back to the avalanche Matt Duchesne is back he has a goal and an assist in three games since returning from his concussion nine shots on goal in that span he's been playing with Grigorenko and Soderberg and I actually just traded for him recently in the couple so let's go Matt Duchesne I don't really have a question about him Landis Gog is still out so we don't know for sure how the lines are going to shake out but you know McKinnon has been heating up as has Miko Rantanen Rantanen has six points in his last seven games playing with McKinnon who has seven points in his last seven games should people maybe be rushing for Ranton at this point? Because I feel like he was someone that, you know, had a lot of hype going into the season. And then he had a slow start and people sort of forgot about him. And, you know, we're talking about Arvidsson and Gensel. You've already said kind of forget about Gensel. But I'd like to get your thoughts on comparing Arvidsson to, say, a Miko Rantanen, who's been playing really well lately and playing with a really hot Nathan McKinnon. Well, Elon, he's also available in that league where you didn't get Arvidsson. So maybe you should rush to get him. The thing with Rantanen, though, and the reason I chose Arvidsson over him is that Rantanen has been very good for points, not so much for shots on goal. Those aren't coming at quite the same rate that Arvidsson, in fact, not even close. He's barely averaging, I think, not even one and a half shots on goal per game, but he is already the Avalanche's fourth highest scoring forward. And I think going forward, it's fair to expect a 50-point pace And I'm hoping that's his floor. I'd love to see him work closer to 55 points. Like you said, he's in a good situation to do that now on the top power play as well. And if you're in a league where an avalanche player, an avalanche forward, other than McKinnon, Landeskog, and Duchesne are owned, if you own like Aginla or Bork or Soderberg or you have at any point in the season, then making a swap for Rantanen should be a fairly easy decision for you to make. Okay, yeah, I agree. Like probably... Arvidsson is a better option than Ranson right now, like you say, because of the shots on goal. But both very good. Both good young players. A lot of exciting young players. I wonder if any of them are going to be left exposed for Vegas. Brian, we actually didn't mention yet. Vegas Golden Knights. That should be the number one fantasy hockey headline. I'm so excited for the summer, I have to say, when we get to talk about all the players the teams are leaving exposed and who Vegas bids on. That's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, let's stay on track. 
Also, Brian, let me know when we have to get to our advertisement for the episode. But I'm going to do one more player first. William Nylander. He's out with an upper body injury for the least. We don't know for how long. Maybe it won't be for long. He's been having a great year, as we've talked about a lot. 15 points in 20 games. This isn't great news for Austin Matthews, who yesterday was playing with Zach Hyman and Connor Brown. But hey, Matthews got a goal yesterday versus Washington, and he had two goals and one assist the game before versus New Jersey. So not too worried about him. I wanted to mention one guy. Maybe this is good news for Nikita Soshnikov who we talked about last year. He had a cup of coffee with the Leafs and had a nice little run. He was called up from the minors actually a few weeks ago, but was in the bottom six. But yesterday, I guess with Nylander out, sorry, Nylander, I don't want to get any complaints here. With Nylander out, Sashnikov was playing with Komarov and Kadri, and he had one assist, and he also had an assist the day before. And also, he's usually pretty good for hits, even though he hasn't done that a lot lately. Also, Sashnikov was on the power play with JVR and Mitch Marner and Tyler Bozak. So any thoughts on if Sashnikov should be someone that people should have on their radar? You calling him Nylander and then apologizing and calling him Nylander and then hoping that you don't get any angry tweets or emails is becoming part of a ritual of the show. (laughs) Uh, Sashnikov, he looked good last night. Then again, so did pretty much everyone on the Leafs. They really looked good. They were coming off a losing streak. So Sashnikov in his own right held up well. Someone I'd rather talk about though is Leo Komarov. He's someone you shouldn't be sleeping on in a hits league. He's averaging three and a half shots on goal per game. He's a decent threat to score a point every other game or so thanks to line mates and power play time. And he throws hits very frequently. So I know that he is available in some hits leagues. I think he's forgotten amidst all the hype around other players in Toronto. This is Honestly, Elon, I don't know when was the last time there's so many Maple Leafs worth owning. Another one, Nazem Kadri. Stephen Birch tweeted out the other day something that I already knew, but he put it into numbers, which is always very helpful. I shouldn't try and sound like I knew that already. It was helpful. Uh, Kadri has 53 points over his last 74 games. I mean, now, maybe those numbers are a little bit cherry-picked because if you go back like 77 or 78, he probably still has 53 points. I didn't actually check deeply into that. But they nonetheless show that he's been on a 55-plus point pace for the last while. And remember, when he was getting these points towards the second half of last year, the Leafs weren't as good as they are now. He was like one of the only goal-scoring threats on the team. So great news for Kadri. And also Mitch Marner. Man, he just looks so good all the time. He's one of my favorite players to watch this year. Uh, Just to say what a guy, because he's definitely taken in every single league. Yeah, definitely Marner and JVR have been awesome. JVR is another guy I traded for recently in the couple. It was one trade. I got Duchesne and JVR. By the way, Brian, I'll fact check you quickly. I think you just slipped up. You said that Komarov is averaging over three and a half shots per game. I think you mean three and a half hits per game. He has 26 shots in 21 games, which isn't too shabby. Still a shot or so every game. Uh, also, I guess as we're on the Leafs, we should mention Frederick Anderson has also settled in and has been doing pretty well lately after a brutal start. So yeah, lots of good people to own on the Leafs. Okay, Brian, I live in Toronto. It is sometimes hard to get tickets to go see the Leafs because they're always sold out. But it's always nice to know that I have the option of going to SeatGeek, the sponsor for today's episode. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been confusing and it's been a hard process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for the game or the show that you want to go to. And none of those other ticket sites really want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and they've created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. I personally just recently went to WWE Raw. I got a good deal from SeatGeek and I saw Chris Jericho interfere in the main event. It was very exciting i actually haven't watched wrestling in a while and there were so many wrestlers that i haven't heard of now it was surprised both of the guys in the main event i hadn't heard of but i did know chris jericho so i really enjoyed that but yeah SeatGeek is always the first place i go to look for tickets to a game or concert and they're bright they're even offering a special deal to listeners of keeping carlson 
They sure are. If you download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING when you sign up, you will get a $20 rebate off your first ticket purchase with SeatGeek. You buy the tickets. They won't take it off right away, but they'll send you a nice crisp $20 check in the mail (laughs) soon after your purchase. Yeah, so definitely just go to SeatGeek next time you want to go to a concert or something. You can even sign up for alerts when the price goes down. It's a really nice site. So go to SeatGeek.com or download the app. Go to the settings tab, add a promo code, put in the promo code KEEPING. Like you said, you'll get that $20 rebate. You'll help support the show. You'll go to your great shows. It's all great. Check it out. SeatGeek. What was my slogan again that I came up for them? Like, be a geek, get a seat. Probably. You you could probably still stand to work on that, though. It's a new beginning for us with SeatGeek, so maybe it's a good time. <laughs> okay, well, tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson, if you could help me think of a better slogan for our SeatGeek ads. Okay, more injuries. Man, last week was the injury episode. I thought this week we could move on from it, but no, there's still a lot more to talk about. Matt Niskanen left yesterday's game for Washington versus Toronto with a lower body injury. And we were just talking about last week how he had taken the number one power play job from John Carlson. I was actually really annoyed about it because I have Carlson in a couple of leagues. But I guess obviously Niskanen owners must have been really happy. But now he's injured. So again, gives a chance for Carlson to regain that role. Any insight, Brian, into like why John Carlson lost the job in the first place? Like obviously this is a bit of a reprieve for Carlson owners who maybe would have had to start stressing out if he was going to be off that top power play for a long time. But, you know, Niskanen will come back at some point. So maybe this is a good chance for us to look into what happened. Yeah, so in the short term, I mean, every Carlson owner is just exhaling. They don't really care why he was booted off. It's just that there's no internal competition for him at the moment unless Washington thinks maybe Dmitry Orlov can step in and do something. But I don't think that'll happen. Nonetheless, Carlson has been a really confusing guy this year. No goals at even strength this year. Probably should have one or two by now. His on-ice shooting percentage is healthy. Uh, low IPP at even strength. So perhaps he could be in on a few more of the goals that are scored while he's on the ice. On the power play, he's actually up in shot attempts compared to years past. And I wonder if that's related to other teams figuring out how to defend against that renowned, scary Washington Capitals power play. But if teams are adjusting to the power play, just because Carlson's getting more shots on goal doesn't necessarily mean the points are going to come because Carlson owners, I think, would much rather have him shoot the same amount as before and just have that power play get back on track. The power play has shot at a near 15% success rate. That's shooting rate, not power play percentage success. So 15% of all the shots they've taken on the power play have gone in over the last three years. This year, that power play is shooting below 10%. And, you know, at this point, I'm not sure yet if this is other teams adjusting and learning how to play that power play and deny them those high-end chances, or if it's random variants. But that is the storyline to watch and one that will determine whether Carlson sees his usual success this year or does continue struggling picking up power play points. Yeah, the thing with Carlson also is that he's not even getting the blocks. Like, he used to be so good for a guy that will give you points and blocks, like two, three blocks a game. He only has 30 blocks in 21 games, so less than 1.5 blocks per game. What a disappointment this season for John Carlson. Hopefully, he'll take this opportunity and run with it. Do it for your fantasy owners, John Carlson. We need you. Not all of us got Eric Carlson, so we took the next best thing, so don't let us down. All right, now more injuries, more injuries, of course. Mika Zibanejad out six to eight weeks with a broken fibula. 
that sucks. My mom was actually in town and she's from Ottawa and she was telling me how Zibanejad, she's heard, hasn't been really good on the Rangers. And I was thinking, oh, Ottawa media, I'm sure, was just telling you that to try to make it seem like Ottawa made such a smart trade. But anyway, I was telling her, no, mom, Zibanejad's been good. And then like literally that night, I was like, oh, actually, he's going to be injured with a broken fibula. So, okay, what is the outcome of Zibanejad being injured? Nash, Piri, Zuccarello, that's the first line, I guess. Kreider, Stefan Fast, Miller, Hayes, Grabner. I'm just giving you a quick sense of the lines. JT Miller, I was saying before, I was excited about him getting into the top six. Looks like the Rangers are still moving things around, and obviously Miller, Hayes, and Grabner have had success together. But, you know, it looks like regression is maybe starting for some of these Rangers. Some of these guys, who Brian was probably tearing his hair out, going like, when are you guys going to finally make me right? Because it's bad when Brian keeps telling you guys, don't worry about these guys. They're not going to be more than like 40, 50-point players. Then they keep playing at a point-per-game pace. But finally, it seems like regression is happening, or maybe it's just too small of a sample size. But if you just look over the last five games, JT Miller has just a goal and an assist. Kevin Hayes, two goals and one assist in the last five games. That's okay, but still, you know, not insane. Grabner, two goals and assist in his last six. Vesey, at this point, two assists in his last seven games. Even Brady Shea, no points in his last four games. So all of these Rangers who maybe you got super, super excited about, it seems like they're slowing down. I'm not saying that they're useless now, but I think maybe we could start seeing why Brian was saying that they're not going to be point-per-game players for the rest of the season. Yeah, so this is part regression and also part Zibanejad and Buchnevich being out of the lineup. You're going to see more guys getting a sniff at what would appear to be top lines in New York, but there's less depth to go around and keep those points coming. Uh, I think they're really just going for a balanced lineup all the way through, though. So, you know, if you see JT Miller or like Jesper Fast was playing with Stepan and Kreider and people were wondering, oh, is he on the top line now? That's not something to get super worked up about. That's just, again, spreading offense, trying to have a balanced attack as New York has been able to manage all season long and as they built their team for in the offseason. While I mentioned Kreider, though, just a goal and an assist for two points, 10 shots on goal in five games since returning from his brief two-game absence. That one goal that he has in those five games, it's actually the only one he's scored in his last 13 games played. He probably deserves to have another by now, but keep an eye on him. I also would really love a bonus episode of Elon, you and your mom. Why don't you bring her on the show? And she could tell us what the Ottawa media is saying about why the Senators are good. Well, the Senators have been good lately, so I don't know. Okay, you know, if we have a slow time at some point, maybe I could call my mom and see if she wants to come on. Okay, one more injury, and then we can move on to some happier news. Sean Couturier, he's out four to six weeks with a lower body injury. Maybe he wasn't super fantasy relevant, but he was having another solid season. Now it looks like Nick Cousins was playing on line two with Konechny and Simmons, and which seems at one point, if you recall, it was Voracek on line two, so I guess maybe he and Simmons changed. Actually, Philadelphia's playing today. So let me do a quick check here and see who have been playing on the lines together. It looks like they had, oh, actually, yeah, they've switched things around so much. Now it's been Giroux. Today it was Giroux, Raffle, and Voracek on line one. And then I'm seeing Shen with Vandeval and Roman Libumov, Lubimov on on the line. And then Simmons with Konechny and Cousins. Okay, bottom line, Cousins seems to get an upgrade with some good line mates. I don't know if you want to say anything about Cousins. Also, Voracek is on a slump. Like, he's pointless in his last six games. But I think he got an assist today. So maybe I was going to ask you, is it time to buy low? I don't know. Maybe now it's going to be too late. And also, really, who would be dumb enough to sell low on Voracek just because he had a six-game pointless streak? But he did it last year, and he bounced back. And I think he'll be fine. So what else do I have to say about Philadelphia? Michael Delzato was scratched for the last three games. At one point, we talked about him on the podcast saying maybe he's a good guy to add because he was getting some points and some nice peripherals. But he was scratched for like three, four games in a row. He's back today, but probably not doing anything, and he might get scratched again. So I probably would be calling Michael Delzato a snoozer right now if you've still been holding on to him. 
lot of flyers struggling lately. Agreed on Del Zotto as a snoozer. Wayne Simmons is the only flyer who's averaging over half a point per game over their last six. One player that I'd like to bring attention to is a potential snoozer along with Del Zotto, Travis Konechny. He's really slowed down three goals, two assists for five points, and 31 shots in his last 14 games played. So not a whole lot happening there. A point every three games, two shots a game, a little more than that. And again, the whole team's struggling, so maybe don't get too down on him. But if you added him during his earlier runs in the season, there are better options on your free agent list, then you might be snoozing on Travis Konechny. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. this happens a lot with rookies. Like, a lot of these rookies will get hot and people get excited about them. Then they'll slow down. And then you have to decide what to do with them and connect the, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he's having a good season. He's in the top six. He's not on the top power play. So you could probably slot him in for like 40, 50 points on the year if you're expecting any more than you're expecting too much. Like, everyone got so excited when he got dual eligibility on all the platforms. And it's like, you know, I'm sure you added him and already dropped him in a lot of leagues unless it's super deep. All right. Brian, I'm done with injuries. Let's talk about happy news. Let's go to Los Angeles. They've got some players back. Andre Kopitar, who was now for too long, but he's back. And Marion Gaborik finally played in his first game for the Kings yesterday. So Kopitar missed five games with an upper body injury. One assist in his first game back versus the Islanders. Zero points and three shots yesterday versus Chicago. But you know, it's Andre Kopitar. Like, nothing to worry about with him. I mean, actually, people were worried about him with the slow start, like he always seems to have. But I'm sure, sure, sure that he's going to be just fine. So Gabrick had missed the whole season until yesterday with a foot injury and really nothing in his first game back. I'll bet you there's some people who drafted him just so they could stash him on their IR and then bring him back when he's back. But definitely leave him in your IR for now if you have him there. No need to rush him back into your lineup. He didn't do anything in his first game back. He only had 11 minutes and 49 seconds of time on ice. No power play time at all. And like not even a shot. So just a nothing, nothing game for Marion Gabrick. He was playing on line three with Jordan Nolan and Nick Shore. So I don't know. I think that, you know, reserve judgment because he could be good. He was also like not great last year, aside from small little stretches. But, you know, if you had him stashed, I actually, we have him stashed, Brian, in our joint league. I'm sure you don't know about that, but we do have him stashed. I'm going to leave him in IR until he does something. Kopitar is actually not on the best line either. So yesterday he was playing with Trevor Lewis and Dwight King. They decided to leave Jeff Carter with Tanner Pearson and Tyler Toffoli. And why not? He's been red hot. Five goals and three assists in his last five games played. So I don't know. Like, I guess LA is actually not very deep when you look at their roster, considering they have that one good line and then Kopitar on the other line, which kind of makes it good, but no one good for him to play with. So yeah, Anze Kopitar not playing with anyone. I don't think that's a long-term concern of mine. And Marion Gabrick, also not necessarily a long-term concern. Like I imagine his 12 minutes on the third or fourth line, whatever, was just to get his feet under him. He's an older guy. He's been injured for the whole season. Uh, He's not someone that you need to rush out and grab, but I think you should have him on your watch list. And here's why. Last year, he had 22 points in 54 games. But the year before, he had 47 points in 69 games played. And if you look at the numbers, I'd actually say that the more successful year in 2014-15 was a fairer reflection of Gabrick's talent than his dismal 2015-2016 season. The thing is that he's now two years older, coming off another injury. He is going to need to play in the top six. He needs Carter or Kopitar to make things happen offensively. I imagine he's going to get one or the other with him before long. He's someone to be cautiously optimistic about. I'm not hoping for another 55-point pace from him, but if he can crack a 50-point pace on LA, I think that would be really good news for him. Tyler Toffoli, Elon, also doing very well lately in LA. You talked about Carter. Uh, Toffoli has a goal and four assists in his last five. Pearson, on a line with Toffoli and Carter, you'd think he's doing the same thing. 
But no, he's still Tanner Pearson, a goal, an assist, and just six shots in his last five. Yeah, Tanner Pearson is like a Nisimov, I feel like. Like, he plays with good players sometimes, and he does well sometimes. Like sometimes he'll have an amazing game, but overall, you can't rely on too much offense, or at least too much sustainable offense. Okay, now since we're on L.A., we actually don't talk about L.A. very much, I think. So I want to just cover the whole team. We talked about their forwards. Let's go to defense. So Drew Doughty has five points in his last four games, which is nice because he was slow early on in the season. So obviously, whatever. Drew Doughty's owned in your league. There's nothing you could do about him if you have him or if you don't have him. Jake Muzzin, though, is someone a lot of people were worried about. He's finally doing something. Four points in his last four games before he had pretty much nothing at the start of the season. And he's been actually splitting time on the top power play with Martinez, Alec Martinez. So it's been like Dowdy always there. And then sometimes he's with Muzzin as a second defenseman, sometimes with Martinez. And Martinez has been having the better season. And he's also doing great. He has three goals and two assists in his last five games played. Who would you want between the two at this point, between Muzzin and Martinez? It seems like that's the big question. Muzzin was actually dropped in my cupful Ottawa division. And I didn't bid on him, or I think I bid like a dollar, but he went for five. So I don't know if I made a mistake because he's been so good for so many years, but this year just not really bringing it in fantasy. I think as long as they're splitting time on the top power play, I'll still go with Muzzin, even though they're probably about equal. It's really hard. I I think it's a total toss up. And I'm going to just sidestep this question entirely by mentioning someone else in LA who might be helpful for you, Derek Forbert. Ah, you stole, you stole my guy line. Yeah. You know what? I did not see that you had him and I had him on my own. So there you go. Derek Forbert, (laughs) a decent peripherals guy these days, top four minutes paired with Drew Doughty, averaging about a shot, two hits, two blocks per game. You know, it's really a wonder Derek Forbert on the top pairing in LA. How is LA winning games? Jonathan Quick is out. Kopitar was out. Gabrick was out. Lucic was gone. Thin depth chart, but they're making lemonade. Out of Lemons, they are fourth in the league in score-adjusted shot attempts toward, also known as score-adjusted Corsi. They have given up the fewest shots against per game played in the league with some actual breathing room between them and 28th place. They're averaging five and a half more shots on goal per game than their opponents. So I guess that's where great D, good coaching, solid systems, and maybe a little luck will get you. But everything under the hood looks really good with LA right now, despite all the challenges they faced. Yeah, and don't forget Peter Budai has been pretty solid in net. He's actually now, like you said, with LA winning games. Budai is second in the league for wins. Carey Price has 13 wins. Peter Budai with 12. If you would have gone into this season telling me that Peter Budai, who wasn't even supposed to be on the team, was going to be second in the NHL in wins, what would I have said to you? I would have said, oh, interesting, I'm going to draft him. But Or I guess I would have picked him up in free agency. Okay, that's not a really good way to end that story. Derek Forbert, by the way, like you say, he's basically Radko Gudas, right? He's another Radko Gudas. He's getting hits, blocks, like pims, everything you would want, even getting decent ice time and a point every now and then. So that's Gudas. So if you didn't get Gudas in your league and you're regretting it, maybe go get Forbert. It seems like it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, and I'll comment on Budai. The league average is what he's putting up, and that's the best the Kings could have hoped for. He's not going to challenge Jonathan Quick. Like, Quick owners don't need to be anxious about this. Uh, Budai has 18 starts this year. Most goalies with about that many have about as many wins as Budai. So his wins total is not like that incredibly impressive. It's not as great as it sounds, except I guess Freddie Anderson has about as many starts and not quite as many wins. But Budai is holding his own with the league's other workhorses in net, which is a very positive thing. Carey Price, first in the league and wins ahead of Peter Budai. But the difference is he's started fewer games than 14 other goalies. He's won 13 of his 15 starts, a very unfair 946 save percentage. Like we just accepted as a given from Carey Price. We never really quite give him the kudos he deserves on the show. 
but incredible. Someone else who's doing incredible, I feel like it's still under the radar, Tuka Rask in Boston, 11 wins in 16 starts, a 938 save percentage. Devin Dubnik also has the same save percentage, 946 as Carey Price, but he has just nine wins in 17 starts. So his team isn't being as kind to him. You know, you might think Carey Price steals wins, but theoretically, Dubnik should almost be able to be at least a little closer to Price in terms of wins. Anyway, a lot of good goalies this year, especially after that huge league-wide collapse in goaltending to start the season. Yeah, a lot of good goalies, but also a lot of bad goalies. And we've been talking about a lot of them on the show. So it's nice to give some credit to the good ones. I mean, it definitely helps Montreal. How about that Radulov signing? He has 18 points in 20 games. That was like the best free agent signing of the summer, I think. Everyone was talking about Andrew Ladd and David Backus and all these other scrubs. Radulov is the guy they all should have been going after, clearly. He's amazing. And I'm sure he's a big part of why Montreal's winning all those games, aside from Carey Price. And also there's Galchenyuk, like in the top 10 in league scoring. That helps too. Yeah, Alex Galchenyuk, a really great deal on draft day this year. I think it was a year ahead in trying to get him in the right spot. So I was a little shy to grab him this year. But things are just clicking very nicely in Montreal so far today. We'll see they can keep it up. Having Carey Price back there, of course, is going to help an awful lot. Yeah, they could have a horrible game and still win just because Carey Price is so amazing. Okay, next outjury. I guess this guy wasn't injured, but Michael Camilleri returned from his time away with personal leave and like a huge return, like probably the best player of the week. Like, Brian, you called it. You said last week that with Taylor Hall out, this would give Mike Camilleri a chance to step into the main offensive role, which he was, wasn't having because Taylor Hall was the number one left wing. Wow, you were right. Four goals and four assists in three games since his return. Eight points in three games. So obviously the question becomes, do you sell high on Mike Camilleri right now before Taylor Hall comes back? Like, is he going to go back to being a secondary guy? in like a month or however long it'll be when Hall comes back. Like, I just want to know if this is sustainable or fleeting. And also, even while Hall is out, like, is there something that's going to slow down? Or do you think that Camilleri couldn't match what he did last year when he was like on a 70-point pace for a lot of the year until he got injured? Yeah, 38 points in 42 games for Camilleri last year. It's so great to see him do the thing once again now that he is their go-to guy. Four goals in three games sounds quite fortuitous you might say, but the guy had nine shots on goal in his return game alone. So yes, four goals is still fortuitous, but not quite as much as you might assume. Four goals on 27 shots in this stretch. That's 27 shots over four games played. Then you have Travis Zajac going right along with him. He has one goal and four assists in those three games played since Camilleri has come back. Kyle Palmieri with an assist in each of the last two games playing with them. So, you know, we talked about Zajac being a guy that lost all of his value with Hall out. I guess it comes back as long as we think Camilleri will be good. And by the way, guess who's been the top D on the power play with Camilleri lately? Not Damon Severson, not Johan Ovitu. It's been John Moore. So that came out of nowhere. But basically, I think the takeaway there is Severson is a snoozer. Dump him. Like, I know you were excited about him. But, like, if he's not even on the top power play, there's, like, no reason to own him at all, I think. And so, Brian, I'm curious to know, is it worth looking at John Moore for a short-term ad? He has one goal and two assists, including a power play assist in his last two games. Well, you know, I was never terribly excited about Severson. And my excitement about OV2 is totally tempered. And I feel the same way about John Moore. You know, when the Devils score, that means a defenseman can get points. But the Devils aren't always going to be scoring. And John Moore's fancy value is no higher than any Devils D-man has had in the last several years. So for that reason, I'm like, if you want to stream him quickly while Camilleri is tearing it up and maybe that last, sure. 
but I'm not rushing out to get him. I might prefer a guy like Anthony D'Angelo in Arizona instead. And just stepping backwards a little bit, Travis Ajax, so happy that he didn't fall off completely. I wonder if he's the secret ingredient, Elon, that's making everything work, although somehow I doubt it. And going back to your original question, can Camillary keep this up? I think he can as the go-to guy. I think once Hall gets back, his role will be diminished somewhat again, but I still don't think that he was as bad and down in his numbers as his first, what was it, three points in 12 games indicated. I think he's better than that, but a point-per-game pace with Taylor Hall in the lineup is going to be harder to keep up than with Taylor Hall out of the lineup. Which is kind of like, why? You know, like, why though? <laughs> like, like, I just feel like, why can't New Jersey, obviously they're seeing that Camilleri is able to produce. So maybe they could figure, like, there have been teams in the NHL, in the history of the NHL that have had two lines that can score goals. So I don't know. Hopefully New Jersey will see that Camilleri still is an offensive force and their coach will figure out a way to get him to produce offensively along with Taylor Hall. Why can't there be enough goals to go around in New Jersey? It's not as if there's so many goals being scored by New Jersey. You know, like, they could score more goals. It would be nice. Okay, anyway, that would also be great for Corey Schneider to maybe help him break out of his mini slump. All right, another out jury, Ryan O'Reilly, back for the Sabres. He has 10 shots a goal in his two games since returning, but no points. And that's probably because this team just can't score. In their last 13 games played, they've scored more than two goals only once. So that's 12 out of 13 games with two or fewer goals. It's crazy. Last game, they ran O'Reilly, Ocposo, and Marcus Foligno on the top line. And then Molson, O'Reilly, Reinhardt, and Ocposo and Ristolainen on the top power play. And you'll notice in those two lists, there's one player on the team that's completely missing. He wasn't on the top line or the top power play. That's Evander Kane. He's been just brutal, like two assists in 10 games on the season so far. You know, he came back from injury after being injured for the first game, has done like absolutely nothing. 23 shots on goal in 10 games, which is lower than his average shot rate, though I guess he's shooting more lately. But I feel like Evander Kane, snoozer, right? This is snoozer terror. This has been the snoozer episode, I think. Low-key snoozer episode because, I don't know, Brian, tell me if I'm crazy, but I dropped him in the two leagues I had him in. Hopefully I won't regret it. I'm not seeing much to be excited about with Evander Kane. Like, at least if he was on a good line, at least if he was like taking a ton of shots, like, at least if he was on the power play, that would be something to hang my hat on. But no production, bad line, no power play, like, ugh, enough. Yeah, so I'm pretty much fed up with a lot of the Sabres this year so far. Ryan O'Reilly coming back. I wrote a terrible joke. Okay, I'll go for it. Roar more like snore. That was really probably not worth it. Especially, okay, going to move on. I'm tired of saying that everything's going to be okay with Buffalo once everyone's healthy, like Kane was out, oh, Kane's back and nothing's happening. O'Reilly's out, oh, well, O'Reilly's back and not much is happening yet either. Granted, he hasn't been back for very long, but this is a team that just has not been very good, and I'm concerned they will continue to not be very good. They're shooting a league-worst 5% team shooting percentage, and I'm wondering if Evander Kane's shot-taking habits are becoming contagious. Like, they're going to get better, but I just don't know like how much better they're bottom 10 in the league and expected goals for so shooting percentage is not telling the whole story they're getting poorer chances than the rest of the league at even strength or at least in two-thirds of the league at even strength and I'm curious to see what happens with a healthy top six but I'm no longer being like oh wait till they have a top six that's completely healthy and Eichel's back and O'Reilly's back and Kane's back and then everything's gonna fire on all cylinders I'm not thinking that anymore 
I'm holding on hope for Sam Reinhardt. I have him in a couple of leagues and, you know, in the cupful recently, I've had to drop some guys as people ever coming out of the IR and I dropped Hansel and Vanek and I don't know, like a few guys, Evander Kane, and I've held on to Sam Reinhardt because I just want to see him with Eichel. That's why I drafted him. So I'm going to wait. I don't care who else I have to drop. I'm not letting go of Sam Reinhardt after holding on to him for so long. Hey, Brian, quick update. Calgary is getting killed by Philadelphia tonight. So that means that Chad Johnson, not a good game for the first time in a long time. And also Jacob Voracek really breaking out of that slump. And Anthony Stolarz has been in net. So I wonder if that's going to earn him another start over the struggling Steve Mason. So some fun news coming out of this Calgary-Philadelphia game. Well, apologies to everyone who owned Chad Johnson already. My adding him to my roster has certainly contributed to this turn of events. Quick, grab Brian Elliott. (laughs) Okay. Uh, another outjury. Okay, Nick Bjugstad is back for Florida. This is not fantasy relevant, like no big deal. He has no points and two shots on goal in two games played since returning. He's a snoozer if you were holding him in your IR or something. Like another snoozer, but like you guys know all that already. I just wanted to bring up him because I wanted to talk about Florida and Jonathan Marcheseau, who only has two points in his last six games and actually scored a power play goal today for what it's worth. But like, Brian, you kind of called this also in a recent episode. You said, notice how Marcheseau only has been like getting a point every couple of games. And that's really been holding up. It looks to me like Marcheseau is settling into being a half point per game player. So his overall season numbers are still amazing because he was like a point per game for like 10 12 games but at this point you know he's on line two with Trocek and Smith he's not on the first line anymore still getting decent power play time he had that power play goal on the top power play today so I'm definitely not saying Marjorie is a snoozer like if you're in a deep league like I think he's still going to produce but he's not like that sure shot like must start every time he plays and like must hold no matter what like I think he's going to be on like a 50 point 45 to 50 point pace for the rest of the season so Nick Bjugstad coming back is more meaningful for the rest of the roster and guys like Marcheseau than I think it is for Bjugstad personally. If you were waiting for him to come back and start doing great things offensively, I think he probably tops out at 50 points if he stays where he is on the depth chart. And that might be a bit optimistic. Even, of course, I'm talking pace because he's already missed a quarter of the year. But him being back means that maybe we see a little more shuffling since I see Bjugstad as someone who can probably play anywhere in the top nine Um, with Huberto still out top nine could still be a little more ambitious for Florida. Unless you think that Dennis Mulgan and Colton Sevier can be contributing participants to a top nine. It's not quite as deep as it is in New York, but I do think it impacts guys like Marcia. who don't need to be relied on quite as heavily as they were with Bjugstad and Huberto out of the lineup. Yeah. So it was fun while it lasted. I still have March so in a couple of leagues. I wonder how long I'm going to hold him because I do always love to go into free agency and, and see who my better options are. Like Brian said, I was going to drop March so today for Victor Arvidsson, but I got outbid or I guess I had my zero bid tied. And then since I'm, of course, in first place, I'm not going to get any of these tied bids in any of my leagues. But, you know, first place problems. Speaking of all of my first place teams in fantasy, the thing they all have in common is I own hashtag Team Wierenski, who keeps on rolling. He's been amazing. I already told you guys you had to add him. If you didn't add him, that is your fault. I'm sorry. But, you know, Seth Jones is actually the next outjury, and he's been back for four games since his injury. No points. He's off the top power play because of hashtag Team Wierenski. Is Seth Jones another snoozer on today's snoozer show? Like, say, if Anthony D'Angelo is still available or, you know, John Moore even. Like, can you cycle Seth Jones out at this point or do you still see him having like half point per game upside, which is good for a defenseman? So, look, Zach Wierenski was off and running very early into the season, yet Seth Jones still had six points in 10 games before he got injured. So producing at just above a half a point per game pace. 
which I mean, obviously wasn't going to be sustainable. But lately, he's got 12 shots, a few hits, a few blocks. And I'm wondering if Jones can keep up a half point per game pace. I guess that's your question, Elon. And I feel like Wierenski's continued emergence does push Jones a little further away from that half point per game pace. And if you have options in free agency, I don't think Seth Jones is a guy who has to be on your roster while we wait to see if he can do anything now that Wierenski seems to have taken the mantle as the team's best offensive defenseman. That was never supposed to be a role that Seth Jones played in Nashville. Then he was sort of the de facto guy in Columbus. So I still think maybe like 35, 40 points would be reasonable to expect from him. But if you're hoping for a lot more than that, or if there's somebody who's starting at 40 points in free agency, then maybe you can make that swap. Yeah, I'd even say closer to 30 points, to be honest. Like, I would have said that he could maybe challenge for 40 points if he was on the top power play all season. But now I feel like, yeah, he's a secondary guy. He's probably really good defensively and a part of why Columbus keeps winning games or has been winning some of their games. Like They've been good and Seth Jones is a good defenseman. But yeah, I think for fantasy, you could probably swap him out. Like I'd rather Anthony D'Angelo right now, who didn't get any points today for Arizona in their 2-1 win over Edmonton, but he did once again get top power play usage. Also in that game was Oscar Clefbaum, who's the next guy I want to talk about. So we're outside of outeries and into hot streaks. We haven't brought up Oscar Clefbaum this season, but he seems to have finally cemented that top power play role. He's been so amazing. He has five points in his last five games, 19 shots in that span, and he's even picking up some blocks. Like today, Clefbaum didn't get any points, but he had three shots and five blocks. So like no matter what, he's helping your team, especially like if they count those peripherals. Do you think that this production from Oscar Clefbaum is sustainable or fleeting? I feel kind of like he's a must-own in all formats right now. He's the top power play on a team that has Connor McDavid on that power play with him. I think steady production from Oscar Clefbaum could be a sustainable thing. I'm so happy that we finally have a power play one quarterback in Edmonton. It's not Larson. It's not Sekera. It's not Darnell Nurse. It's Oscar Clefbaum. He was there the whole time. And I think you do have to own him because as Oilers, as the Oilers can tend to be, they're going to have a potent top power play unit all season long, barring injury to Connor McDavid, of course. Clefbaum has three or more shots on goal in six straight games. If you own, say, Seth Jones, this is a good swap to make. Yeah, I definitely agree. I would definitely take Clefbaum over Jones. Very excited about him. Brian, I drafted him in that league where you just got Arvidsson. And I was thinking of dropping at some point, but he was also kind of like a Sam Reinhardt. It's like, no, he's going to get the top power play and he's going to be good. I'm really happy I held on. You know how hard that is for me, Brian, because I always like to swap people for free agents that are exciting. One free agent that I picked up in the Cacupful and has been amazing is Ricard Raquel. He's played 13 games now, and he hasn't slowed down. He has 12 points in 13 games now on the season. He's been on a line with Perry and Getzlaff for the last few games. So, by the way, snoozer alert on Nick Ritchie if you're still holding him, thinking he's on that top line. So, yeah, but Ricard Raquel, last year he was on that line for a while. And, you know, people like to talk about Anaheim. Like, we used to always talk about, oh, who's going to be on the top line with Perry and Getzlaff? It's anyone's guess. It changes all the time. But actually, like, Raquel stuck there for a long time last year. I don't see a reason why he can't stick there again this year. And I think if he does, I think his production is somewhat sustainable. Like, not, you know, a point-per-game pace. But I think that Ricard Raquel could be a solid 60-point pace player moving forward. Like, he's getting all these points. He's taking a ton of shots. He's on this good line. I'm a fan. I know, Brian, you're not as much of a fan. You keep on telling me that you want to sell high on him or you want to, like, drop him. And unfortunately, he keeps doing well, so you can't drop him. Like, what am I missing? Like, why is he not, like, just a solid player on your team as opposed to some, like, periphery guy who happens to be on a hot streak? Well, maybe he is that periphery guy who just happens to be on a hot streak. We have to figure out if he's actually different 
than that person. Eight goals, four assists in 13 games played to start the year. Eight goals on 36 shots on goal, which is not sustainable. His on-ice shooting percentage is double what it should be. Also not sustainable. He's also playing sometimes with Antoine Vermette and I forget his first name already, Cremarosa who we like to mention on the show. Okay, but when you say he's playing sometimes, what do you mean? Like, when? Like, in the last few games, he's been on the top line. But he has played some time with those two guys yeah. in the yeah, last when he ca- few when, games. When he came in, he played with those guys before okay. he ended up bumping Nick Ritchie. I'm just trying to take the other side of this argument in a convincing way, even though I still do believe in that other side. Like, I get your excitement about him. He's doing very well. And sure, he's not a point-per-game guy. He's also not peanuts either. But this is a guy who's career-high was last year 43 points in 72 games played, averaged just over two shots per game. And he's also playing sometimes with Antoine Vermette and this guy named Cremorosa. I feel like he's going to keep getting time on the first line, like you're saying, Elon, as a kind of lucky charm to help get Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff going while they're struggling. Lucky charm? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think he's a good thing to, you know, you want scorers to be around guys who aren't scoring to help get them, I don't know, maybe? Maybe. Uh, But soon after that happens, here's what I think is going to happen. The second line is set, and we're seeing that his second most common line pairing is on the third line. So I'm wondering if he ends up there or just bouncing up and down the lineup through the year as he did last year, which is why I'm not sold on him as a 60-point guy. I think it'd be really nice if he could crack a 50-point pace for the duration of the season and 55, in my opinion, that would be the ceiling. Okay, well, yeah. I would bet board you on this. Like, I would make a bet. Like, last season, before he got injured, he was on that top line for a long time. And if you're saying, like, he had his career high. Like, so two seasons ago was his first year, and he had 31 points in 71 games. Last year, 43 points in 72 games. So that's already, like, a 50-point pace. And now he's doing even better. And, like, I don't know. But you're right. He does have high numbers. I guess I shouldn't be too overly excited about him. He'll probably, But I do agree he's going to regress from being a point-per-game player. But I think he could settle into being three points in every four games. I guess you you disagree. I, I don't know. I, I think you might be wrong. I don't think he's also getting bumped to the third line. I think like he was you know brought in that way because Nick Ritchie was doing well playing with Perry and Getzlaff for a while, so they didn't want to break that up. But I think that they have a really good situation going. Obviously, things can change, though. We'll have to see. Like, Carlisle is the coach now. So I don't know. Like, you know, last year we would talk about how the lines kept changing so much in Anaheim. I don't know how Carlisle is a coach. Like, but Carlisle on Toronto, he had... Bozak and Kessel and JVR together like all the time. He never switched it. So maybe it'll be the same in Anaheim. Okay, fine. I I had that thought too. Raquel is not Tyler Bozak though. Like I think it's a totally different situation. And so what's the bet? You said we we could put this on the bet board. You want to go plus minus 55 point pace from now till the end of the year? Uh, I have to think about it. Oh, come on. You you always think about it. You're always afraid. You said you'd bet board this. Okay, so you're saying 55-point pace over under? Yeah, I've got the under from today onwards. Okay, deal. Okay. Deal. For a beer and nachos. I hope you're right because I own Raquel, but I just, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not that confident. And Elon, while we're on the ducks, I don't know if you were going to get to them, but we should talk about Perry and Getzlaff. Getzlaff went 15 games without a goal until last night. Perry is goalless in 14 games. Anaheim has scored 36 goals dating back to when Perry's goalless run began back on October 28th. That's a span of 14 games. Raquel, Kessler, and Silverberg leading the way. They have a combined 20 of those 36 goals. Nothing on 40 shots for Perry. And Ryan Getzlaff needed a very uncharacteristic five shots on goal to get the goal that broke his huge drought last night. 
Yeah, you know, you called it, Brian, like Corey Perry, you said, was maybe going to start slowing down, you know, as an aging goal scorer. And it seems to be happening. But I think obviously he's not as bad as he's been. He's going to do better than zero goals in 14 games. He's still taking shots, like you say. By the way, Brian, I predict that not only will Raquel have higher than that 55-point pace overall for the rest of the season, but I'll bet you you won't enjoy it because you're going to drop him from your team before you get the chance to enjoy it once he has like two or three games without a point. Okay, but since we're on Anaheim, let's also quickly mention the goalies. Like, we have to talk about Jonathan Bernier at this point. Like, this is the real deal. He had another solid game yesterday in a 3-2 win over San Jose. Like, a good opponent. Like, normally you don't put your backup goalies against strong opponents. But there you go. He has a 9.33 save percentage on the season in nine games played. Small sample size, yes. But he was also good, if you recall, at the end of last year with Toronto after that horrible... Like, yeah, he had a horrible season. I definitely am aware of that. But, you know, you compare it to John Gibson, who really hasn't been great this year at all. Like, he has a 906 save percentage in 16 games played. Like, shouldn't we expect Bernier to start getting at least, like, half of the starts? Like, he's playing better each game. Like, he seems to be winning more than Gibson. At least I think he's going to start getting more starts until he slows down. And I think now might be one of your last chances to grab him as a really solid potential 50-50 goalie in your free agency. Yeah, I already mentioned him earlier as a guy who you might look to add, especially if you're a Gibson owner. I think that's who Bernier has the most value for. So perhaps if you're not a Gibson owner, you try and grab Bernier, hope he steals I don't know, a third of the starts, maybe 40% of the starts, and then flip them to a desperate Gibson owner for something that'll help your team more, assuming you have the goalies you need already. Uh, An interesting development, you know, after last year, Bernier was just down in the dumps and could not work his way out. So it's nice to see him having some success again. I'm sure Randy Carlyle is really enjoying it. Question in the chat room and one I was going to ask you, and I'm sure we've already been getting tweets about and we're going to keep getting tweets about. If you had to pick someone right now, Brian, Bernier or Pickard, who would you take? Can I just say, I don't know. Like there's so many contextual (laughs) factors. If I had to pick one guy, like if you're asking me who I think will get more starts the rest of the year, I think Bernier's got a better shot at it, but I think Pickard might be able to put up better numbers should he be the guy who does get more starts the rest of the way. I actually think they'll both put up similar numbers. Like, I think Bernier and Pickard are both, like, decent goalies. And I think it's almost like a ceiling floor thing in terms of the number of games they'll play. Like, I think Bernier probably isn't going to be stealing the job from Gibson. I think his best case is, like, 50-50. For some reason, I I see, like, Pickard could, like, have a lot fewer starts than Bernier, but I could also see him just, like, taking most of the starts. You know, finally Varlamov just being told, no, you're the backup now. Because I think Pickard has a chance. I think it's, like, more of a risk and reward with Pickard. I don't know if you agree with me or not. Probably I would take Bernier just because I like his team better. And also I really think that he's just as good as Gibson. Sure. I agree with everything you said, especially because I think we have some breaking news, Elon, nothing that we can really break down on the show, but it sounds as this episode is happening, Nick Kiprios has just reported that Gerard Gallant has been fired from the Florida Panthers after that loss to the Carolina Hurricanes. I mean, when you lose to Michael Layton, I guess certain things are bound to happen. A lot of struggling players on the Panthers so far this year. Jokinen, Yager, Trocek took a while to get going. Barkov hasn't been himself for the entire season. I wonder if this could be a good thing. Instant analysis. Elon, any thoughts? Well, I guess I'm going to be curious to see where Marshall plays in the next game with the new coach. Like, I guess, uh, yeah, there's now going to maybe be some lineup shuffling. We'll definitely break it all down in the next episode. But Brian, we got to finish this episode. Still a couple more players I want to talk about, if that's okay with you. Let me know when we get to the point where you want me to just wrap this up, because you know me, I could go on forever. Lots of St. Louis players are on hot streaks right now, especially the line of Schwartz, Stasny, and Perron. And when I say the line of, it's like, 
St. Louis is changing their lines all the time, but this has been a line recently and they're doing great. Like Perron is on a seven game point streak. I don't know if you realized it. He has 10 points over his last seven games. He's also getting power play time. Perron, still a free agent in a lot of leagues. So he might be a guy to jump on right now. Even Paul Stasny is heating up. He has four points in his last five games. And we talked about him as maybe being someone you could let go because he wasn't getting prime offensive opportunities. But you said, I think correctly, that he's kind of the guy that he's going to go hot and he's going to go cold for a while as they move him around because sometimes St. Louis needs to even out their roster and Stasny's a versatile guy. And then Jaden Schwartz, he should have never been dropped in any leagues. Like he had a bit of a slow start. Anyone who dropped him, I think, was kind of foolish. He has 11 points now in his last 10 games. We knew that Jaden Schwartz would be good, and he's doing it. So I don't really want to talk about him. But like Stasny and Perron, especially Perron, who's most likely to be available, where does he fit into this discussion if you have guys like Arvidsson available or Ricard Raquel? Well, not even Ricard Raquel. Like even just comparing Arvidsson to Perron, I guess you actually made your choice today, Brian, because Perron's still available in our league, and you bid on Arvidsson. Do you think it's close? It's close. I definitely thought about him, and it's not the only league I've thought about him in. My problem with Perron, which you've already stated about Stasny, but it carries over to Perron too, I feel he has the furthest to fall in terms of depth chart status amongst all the Blues who are on a roll right now. You know, I just feel like Patrick Berglund and Dimitri Yaskin are playing on the third line and calling his name. Perron, Perron, come back and play with us. Remember, Perron had just five points in 15 games to start the year. Uh, A great short-term option, though, for as long as he's playing these fantastic minutes that he's getting. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Victor Arvidsson also could easily fall back to the bottom six. Like, it's possible. So I guess it's kind of a coin flip between the two. I would take Arvidsson because of his shots. Though, anytime you have someone that could be playing on the power play with Tarasenko, who has also been awesome. Like, it's not even worth mentioning, but obviously he's been great. So Perron is definitely an interesting option. A lot of interesting options showing up in free agency. I guess as it always happens. Some players get exciting. Here's a couple more in Vancouver. So Louis Erickson, who maybe has been dropped in your league because he had such a horrible start. But he has three goals in his last four games. So maybe there's some signs of life there. I'd be curious to know what you think about him compared to some of these other potential free agents that we've mentioned. And also, since we're talking about Vancouver, gotta mention Bo Horvat, six points in his last four games played. And Brian, I want to read you something from an article I read, Dauber's 20 Fantasy Hockey Thoughts of the Week. It's a weekly article with 20 thoughts. Really good. So check this out. Bo Horvat demands your attention. Not only is he on a four-game point streak, but he also leads the Canucks in both goals, seven and points, 15 which he says, I know, not saying much, but he's on pace for 55 points. And if you don't think he can do it, consider that he's been scoring at that rate for the entire calendar year of 2016, 45 points in 66 games since January 1st. So Bo Horvat has been good also at the end of last year. Like if you look at his total numbers from last year, nothing special, but he was hot at the end of last year. He's doing well again this year, like I said, leading the Canucks. So this is a guy to watch also. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on Horvat and Louis Erickson and then how they compare to some of these other guys we've talked about. Okay, I'll go with Erickson first. He can score. He's a good hockey player. Two of his three goals in this recent stretch have come on the power play. And power play production was a huge part of his success last year, as we've talked about before. The problem is that the Vancouver Canucks haven't quite caught on to that, that he can be a really great power play contributor. And while he's still doing everything he can when he does get ice on the man advantage, he's still being consistently left off of the top unit which, you know, if you wanted to cut the Canucks some slack, you could say, oh, I guess they have Henrik and Daniel on the top unit. So maybe it makes sense, but I still don't think it does. Vancouver is 28th in the league in power play conversion rates. I believe that Louis Erickson on that top unit could help them raise that number and also help himself. 
Until that happens, he's still a bit of a tweener, someone who's really capable of scoring, but opportunities for him may be few and far between, just like Radim Verbata last year. It's like the same story repeating itself. As for Bo Horvat, he last year had a half point per game pace in a sophomore season on a pretty rough team. So we were hopeful for growth to like 45 points would be nice. He had 40 last year. A 50-point pace this year would be really nice. Just keep in mind with this hot streak, he did it a couple times last year as well. He's still on the second power play unit, still averaging fewer than two shots on goal per game, and still plays for Vancouver. Yeah, so Vancouver has been scoring a bit more lately, but overall not a great team. So it's just nice to know. I like looking at my free agent list and my watch list and seeing a lot of nice options available to me for if my people are struggling. And it seems like some more are showing up lately. I feel like a couple of weeks ago, we were a little dry in our list of good free agents available. Today, it's looking good. And I, obviously, I'm just guessing who's available by like looking at people that are available in my leagues. So, you know, tweet at us actually at Keeping Carlson. Let us know if the guys we talk about are the right guys. Like We always love feedback on the show and how we decide who to talk about. All right, Brian, I want to end the show with more snoozers. Since we were already talking about all the players who have been snoozing like throughout, I have a couple that I think are I want to like put the stamp on. Before you get to them, one more guy who I wanted to mention playing well lately. You mentioned Corey Schneider early in the show, and I bit my tongue. Keith Kincaid, 933 save percentage in five appearances this year. Way better than Schneider's 915, of course. Schneider is still the better goalie. And I think he's one of those guys who benefits from playing a lot of games. So I'm not sure that this necessarily means that Kincaid is going to get more starts than he ever did before. But maybe it's a sign that he's a more legit spot start option when he does get that start, thanks to this nice little run he's had at the beginning of his year. Okay, Elon, snoozers. Brian, I'm really surprised at you because you get so mad at me when I bring up a goalie and you like that's only had like five good games and you say like, well, oh, five games. That's the smallest sample size ever. Like has Keith Kincaid ever been good in his career at this point? Like I'm bringing up his stats now. Like last year, he was, I guess, average 915 save percentage the year before 904. I don't know. Who cares? Keith Kincaid, no one should add him. I guess if you have a spot start available, but Schneider's the best. Wow. From the guy who like wanted to talk about Aaron Dell earlier this season and every possible backup. I'm surprised you didn't bring this up first, Elon. Oh my God. Is Keith Kincaid better than Corey Schneider? No, he's not. So I'm glad you didn't ask. I think, I just think it's worth noting. He looks really good in the games that he has played. And if you were ever afraid of that Kincaid spot start, if you were holding off because you weren't sure that things would be good, yes, 9.33 in five appearances doesn't mean that the next one's going to be 9.33, but maybe he's a more viable option than you might have considered. Sure, maybe. To me, he's the same as he was before. Like any spot start could be good. Usually when a backup goalie plays, it's like against a weaker team. Like usually I find these spot starts work out pretty well. So, you know, I'm talking about the backups like Chad Johnson and Jimmy Howard and like the ones that are making an impact. Aaron Dell, I just brought up before the season even started saying he made the team just because I thought it was interesting. All right. All right. All right. You don't need to. Nobody needs to defend anything. I can't just give a little kudos to a New Jersey backup who nobody could even name. I remember I tweeted out like a year or two ago, somebody tell me who backs up Corey Schneider. I had one person respond correctly and they spelled his name wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't even know why I'm getting mad at you right now. Like, so what am- mad. <laughs> I don't care. It's nice. More you do this all the time. I thought I'd try it for once. Never yeah. again. No, no, do it. You should do it. I'm sorry. Like I- I'm just getting excited. Okay. I want to talk about these snoozers now and Keith Kincaid, not one of them. He's been fantastic. <laughs> But you know who hasn't been? Okay, so here are the guys who I'm going to say time to drop for sure. Matt Dumba, 
So people were excited about him going into the season. Like he was drafted in all of my leagues. I guess the idea was he was going to be on the top power play with Ryan Suter. Well, guess what? He's not there. He hasn't been there for a while. Jared Spurgeon is there. Dumba only has seven points in 21 games. Like let him go. If you still own him, I think let him go. And I actually added Spurgeon in the cupful after. So, okay, let me tell you this full trade that I made because I've been hinting at it. I traded Philip Forsberg and Andre Markov for Duchesne and JVR. And the idea I had is obviously Markov has been amazing, like no doubt about it. But I saw that Spurgeon was available in free agency. And I thought, you know what? I could also replace Markov with Spurgeon. And I might even think that's an upgrade. Like, Brad, I want to know if you think I'm crazy right now. But Spurgeon has more shots on goal, more blocks, is in a similar situation as Markov. He, you know, is the second fiddle on the top power play. You know, Markov with Weber and Spurgeon with Suter. And you know what? He has no points lately, but it's just luck, you know, I think. Or is it? Like in his last three games played, he has eight shots on goal and has been a plus five. So Spurgeon has been around goals. He just happens to not be getting points. I'm sure Markov has been getting luck the other way. Like, I'm, I guess I'd obviously prefer Markov, but I think it's a lot closer than people would think. So I'm happy with my trade and I'm curious to get your thoughts on Spurgeon as a potential guy that people should be looking at. Sure. I guess, you know, there hasn't been a guy on Minnesota who's done a whole lot on the blue line, aside from Ryan Suter, on a consistent basis for, I feel like it's been a while now. I feel like, like in New Jersey, you have to go back to when Marek Zidlitsky was in the picture. And I, I might have to fact check that, or maybe you can while I'm talking, but I'm actually not going to talk for very long about Matt Dumba. I was never very excited about him. I saw the reason to get excited about him, just like I see the reason to get excited about Spurgeon. However, uh... I don't know. I guess you could. If you need to fill a D spot, go ahead. But like, you should try Clefbaum first. Or who was the other defenseman we were talking about earlier in the show? Well, definitely Clefbaum is awesome. I guess we're talking about like Seth Jones as someone to drop. Would you drop Jones for Spurgeon? I don't think so. I think I'd probably hang on to Jones. But maybe maybe that's close. Maybe that's a fair comparison. Okay, well, yeah, take a look. Like, it also depends what you need. Like, Spurgeon gets more blocks, and he's also taking a lot of shots on goal. So that's what I like about him. Not saying he's a sure thing, but definitely Matt Dumba, I think, is a snoozer. And watch him now get, like, a hat trick in the next game. But I really doubt that'll happen. Okay, Brian, the next snoozer, this is yours. I'm going to give you the floor here because you made a big announcement on the Facebook group earlier this week. Why don't you share it with the world? Wow, you left it so ambiguous that I could be about to say anything after three and a half seasons of the keeping car- no, I'm just joking. Mark Andre Fleury is no longer the number one goalie in Pittsburgh. I don't know. I feel like you wanted it to be more dramatic than that. I'm willing to accept that Matt Murray is the number one goalie there, and it just puts Fleury owners such as myself in such a tough position because it's hard to let him go for nothing because they still, you know, he still plays for Pittsburgh, and if he starts one of three, like if he becomes the Vasilevsky in Pittsburgh. There's value there, but if you're hard up for starts and you're staring decent replacement options in the face, like even Ward or Johnson or Howard, it's time to seriously consider them. The one hangup you might have about letting Flurry go, though, is if you're in a keeper league, Flurry's value likely goes up by the end of the year, but probably not before then. I wouldn't be surprised if the Pens are happy to go into the playoffs with two championship caliber goalies that they can rely on, like Flurry, if you think about it is the best insurance policy the team could ask for. They don't have to give up anything to get him. And maybe just holding Flurry the whole year through the playoffs rather than recouping assets for him is the price they're willing to pay to help their cup odds for another year while they have a prime Crosby and a prime Malkin in the lineup. 
Yeah, I agree. Like, why should Pittsburgh be trading for prospects right now? They don't need prospects. They need to win, like, three more cups in the next five years while they have these star players. So, yeah, I think that this is bad news for Flurry owners, and I wonder when he'll start getting dropped in more leagues. Like, he hasn't been great, and Matt Murray's been, like, fantastic. So, yeah, you said it all. And, okay, Brian, one more goalie, and then we'll end the show. A lot of people have been asking about Yaroslav Halak, so I had to bring him up. So he has a 9.04 save percentage in 14 games. Meanwhile, Thomas Grice is at 9.15 in eight games played. It's not amazing, but 9.21 in his last five games. A lot of Halak owners are really struggling with figuring out what to do. I guess a lot like the Flurry owners. Why is Halak still getting so many more starts than Grice? Is it going to start slowing down? Is Halak like Cam Ward from last year at this point where he's like always a risk to start because the Islanders aren't even a very good team anymore and he's not putting up good numbers? Is Halak worth holding on to? And obviously there's context of like who you drop him for and like who your other goalies are. But just give us your general thoughts on the Islanders goaltending situation. Right, because he and Flurry are two guys we get a lot of questions about. Like, who do you like better, Flurry or goalie X or Halak or goalie Y? And there's so many contextual factors that come into play when you're weighing each one. It's really hard to match one up straight head-to-head against another goalie option. Depends on your situation. The Islanders' goaltending situation at the moment, though, can be summed up in one word, and that word is blurg. It's been a source of frustration for weeks now for all fantasy owners and for me because of the questions we get asked. I have no idea when it's going to get sorted out. Like Capuano was talking about making sure Baruby got a start soon and they're carrying three goalies all the while just to protect JF Baruby from waivers from being sent down. I imagine he gets claimed. I have no idea. The Isles seem very convinced that he will until this three goalie thing is sorted out. Black is a guy that you can probably hope to get two decent starts a week from. But wins, like you said, Elon, they may be hard to come by because even when he does start, he's not starting for a very good team. Yeah, so we've mentioned some exciting goalies, Bernier, Pickard among them. I wonder if it's almost time to be swapping out a struggling Yaroslav Halak, especially if he's like your third goalie, get someone you could rely on for good numbers and a win, a more likely win when he does play. Like I think Anaheim has a good chance of winning whenever Bernier plays. I don't know if the same can be said for Halak. Brian, I'm out of players, so I'm ready to go, unless you have someone you want to talk about. Okay, I'm going to throw Brandon Carlo out there as our final snoozer of the week. You may have added him for peripherals earlier in the year. He had 24 blocks in his first nine games and had a a hit or two as well. Uh, Just 15 blocks in his last 13 games, though. So if you still think that he's contributing any peripherals to your lineup, he isn't. You can probably drop him for Jared Spurgeon. Yeah, well, I would definitely drop Carlo for Spurgeon, though. I don't know. Like, I mean, Boston actually has a Lyles. John Michael Lyles got injured today and Chara's injured. So maybe like Carlo will get an increased role in the short term with these injuries. If you've been holding him all this time, maybe I'd wait like one more game to see how things shake out now that the defense is taking some hits. But overall, yeah, I mean, definitely not getting the blocks that he was at the start of the year. All right, Brian, great job as always. Thanks to everyone who joined us in the chat room. This was an especially fun, well, I don't know, interesting chat room this week. Uh, If you want to know what I'm talking about, you should join us live next week and you can experience the interesting, diverse crowd in our chat room for our live shows. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to now list a bunch of things you could do to help us if you enjoyed the show. So you could follow us on Twitter. And also, by the way, this helps you because you could tweet at us and ask us fantasy hockey questions. We try our best to be helpful. 
And also we'd love to hear your feedback and everything like that. We'd love it if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes. Also like subscribe to us on iTunes. You know, like you could actually subscribe to us on iTunes even if you don't use iTunes to listen to your shows. But I think that they use that in their algorithm when they're listing like their top shows. So if you wanted to help us out, do stuff on iTunes for us. Also, you could become a patron of Keeping Carlson. We haven't really talked about it much this show, but we've been hinting about our awesome patron-only Facebook group where there's interesting conversations going on all the time. If you have a fancy hockey question, you want to ask like all the experts, that's where you should be in the patron-only Keeping Carlson Facebook group because there's lots of people to give you really great advice there. Also, we have our monthly patron cast if you become a patron, and we had a really fun one last week. It's available on Patreon to download if you become a patron. So if you're interested in becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson, buying Brian or I a beer at a bar, I guess like a beer on special once a month for $5 a month, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information. But with that, I am done. Let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey, sponsored by SeatGeek, and supported by our patrons who agree that we're offering them something of value. So they want to return the favor. We appreciate that. Uh, Special thanks to John R. And welcome back to Scott W. and Chris F., who I believe have been with us before and uh, coming back into the fold. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job, as always, Brian. I know you you really struggled this week because you're sick and you still did all this research and put on this great show. So thank you so much for everything you do. You're a great co-host, Brian. I don't know if I tell you that enough. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Catch you all next week. You're trying to butter me up for a trade of some kind, Ari. You're about to offer me Steve Mason for Patrick Hornquist. Anyway, we'll see what comes of this. Until next time, keep on keeping Carl Sand.